0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Scrapbook, the podcast dedicated to all things digital art. I'm your host, Michele Colonna, and today's guest is Canadian digital artist, Adrian Pocobelli. Hi, Adrian, and welcome to Scrapbook.
1: Hey, hey Michele, and great to hear you. Uh, I love how you say my name. (laughs) You say it better better than I do.
0: (laughs) I should just go all the way and say Adriano, right? Yeah, really. Adriano Pocobelli.
1: I think my Italian passport has Adriano. I think, uh, oh, so yeah. You, so do you have yeah. both?
0: So you have Italian and Canadian. Uh, exactly. So,
1: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes it easy being out here in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. I look look with admiration oh. at all the people who you know these. 25 and older, uh, you know, coming here with visas to Berlin and all that sort of thing. So I just go, I guess, I don't know if I would have come. Let's put it that right, way, right, without right, the passport, because right, right. then you're really jumping off the cliff. Yeah, because
0: you know? uh, I guess with your Italian passport, right, you could you uh, you could you could live and work there.
1: It's the beauty of the EU. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I don't need to do anything other than register with the city. And that's what every German needs to do here. So, I mean, it really is magical. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very grateful for that situation.
0: Yeah, and, and we'll definitely we'll definitely touch on the on your Berlin um experience, right? Because I'm very interested in that. You know, I've, uh, I've always had a fondness for the city, so and I'm curious to you know to hear your insight and your opinion. You know, what what's it, what, what's it been like for you? But you just got back from Italy, as you said. So uh, I'm sure you brushed up on your uh, on your accent, right? And <laughs> your Italian, you know, on the art, uh... on the art history. But as I was saying, you just got back from Italy. So I'm sure you got a chance to brush up on your Italian. And uh, uh, what you, did you just do? Uh, Tuscany, or were you um, in many places? I
1: what did we do? we there's there's a flight uh, Ryanair flight Berlin yeah, right to Pisa, and then it's great. The the uh, there's like a little shuttle train sort of thing uh, that goes from Pisa airport just right down to this train station, and then we went to Livorno. Yeah. As we were discussing before the podcast, a bit of a sleeper city. Uh, But that was the charm of it because, you know, we went over to Pisa during the day. And, of course, everybody, it feels like a stampede from the train station (laughs) to the tower there. I mean, the tower is stunning. Yeah. I will say that. Like, I'd forgotten. I think it was 6 or 11 the first time I saw it. And I hadn't seen it since. So, I mean, it is a stunning uh, architecture. But it's just like my girlfriend described it as a rave. You know, there were so (laughs) many people. You yeah, know, like yeah. it feels like, yeah, just too many people. And Florence was insane. Yeah. You know, and there we were in early April. Yeah, because. And you, it was just the, the streets were packed.
0: Yeah. You know, you still have your contingent so, of foreign students, right? They're still there. So you have that, like, so that's, so totally. that's maybe like 50,000, 100,000 kids, right? And then you have totally. your, just your, you know, your your tourists, right? And You know, national and international, right? So, yeah, it makes for quite a quite a crowded city, right? um
1: it it does uh, and there are yeah you hear a ton of american students there i yeah. mean yeah the streets so maybe it was a spring break thing i, I just couldn't believe how many yeah. people were there so livorno was like uh <laughs> uh a godsend yeah because uh, it was so chill you know and we spent a week there so you could go to a little you know even the indian restaurant was amazing yeah
0: yeah yeah you were based out of livorno okay you were based there yeah we that spent was, a was week place. gotcha okay and then you just yeah, traveled got, around there,
1: right exactly yeah. like because it's and we're close to the train station. is a beautiful place. And Livorno is cheap yeah. because nobody goes to Livorno. And yeah. that was the charm. I mean, it was like, I was thinking, we were almost thinking earlier before we went, oh, maybe we should get a couple of days in Florence. Uh, but we decided not to, and I was totally glad. Yeah, you know, So yeah. We, and we were ironic? doing day
0: trips all uh, the whole week?
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah so we just, you know, we're 20 minutes from the train station and the trains are really good. Yeah. you know yeah. uh, like they're cheap i mean it costs us yeah. three euros not even to go to yeah. pisa you know it's 20 or 30 minutes like it's maybe a couple of times an hour you know and then you're over in pisa and then if you want to go to florence it's maybe an hour and 40 minutes yeah. and maybe it costs you six euros you know so it's yeah yeah i love the trains there
0: yeah yeah no it's, it's great it's, they are key to the uh just the overall infrastructure of the country right because of you know listen the, traveling with cars right because of the because of the scale of cities right it's not as practical as it is you know in North America is like we used to right so um, so I think trains kind of like uh, provide that alternative uh, you know convenience you know to mobility right so
1: well it's it's a it's an important point you make yeah. though before we move on because I mean th- there are so many cars on the road yeah. now that there's nowhere to park. I mean, even in Livorno, the Airbnb guy was saying like, oh yeah, you're really smart to not rent a car because you can spend an hour looking for a parking space. And this is in Livorno. And so, and there's like a big traffic jam that happens in Livorno. And it's like, this isn't like some huge city here. So the train, I say rent a bike, not a car.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. The cities in Europe were built, in my opinion, oh, it's been documented to the scale of men, right? Not to the scale of the mm-hmm. car, right? As opposed to North, North America, we, you know, we built, we built cities for the car. Right. Uh, and that changes the proportion, changes the scales. Right. So, um, so it's just not practical for the automobile, right. To kind of, so. Well, yeah, to
1: especially in those like small, yeah. like little towns. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah.
0: So, so Adrian, uh, let's get into the, uh, let's get into the, um, the art right away. So, I know you, I know you for the last couple of years in the space, Um, been in some spaces with you, followed your art, um, listened to the uh, artist journal, which we'll talk about in the end. But I'm not too familiar with your background, with your, you know, your artistic formation, your academic formation. So if you could, uh, if you could just bring me up to speed and the audience to really what your background is.
1: Sure, I, I grew up in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is in Canada's Midwest. So pretty remote place, yeah. and actually, I grew up right outside of Saskatoon. So ah, okay. the the ongoing joke is I grew up just outside the middle of nowhere, and it's <laughs> like above just above North Dakota. Right. So, oh, that's, okay. so really I was going to ask
0: you, so you, uh, in, in, in reference to the U S map and which state, so I thought it was Minnesota, but it, so it's actually uh, the Dakotas So north of the I'm Dakotas. Above, okay. Yeah.
1: Saskatoon is above the Dakotas and I think Manitoba maybe is more above Minnesota, uh, yeah. Minnesota. So I have a friend from Minnesota, but we're, it's culturally, it's actually not that far. Like I get along quite well with my Minnesota friend yeah, yeah. out here in Berlin. Uh, So anyway, so I grew up there and I always had this kind of art kind of ambition from a pretty young age. I took some painting early on. I did art classes like I knew it was something I wanted to be. Uh, And interestingly, simultaneously, I mean, when I was very young, when I first visited Italy, when I was six, uh, I was given the stamp collection of my Italian grandfather who had already passed. I never yeah yeah. And so stamps really started this kind of obsession, I guess, with images. And I would just stare at these things, wow. you know, and I also went to the Vatican when I was six, uh, when I visited Italy in that same trip. So I think that was probably the seed as far as the formative, you know, experience where, you know, I'd oh. go through that this mysterious museum, which was fairly boring, mm-hmm. but I knew there was something there. Or you know, was as a six-year-old, like yeah. I just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it lit the fire, even though the fire was very small, and I didn't quite understand. Right. And even like, I mean, it was kind of a classic, like, you know, Italian kid situation where I like it's classic. I mean, I. I almost forgot this memory, but I'd have Leonardo books, a Leonardo book and I'd copy the Leonardo drawing, no you know, way. like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's kind of straight out of a movie. It's almost a cliche, like a, but yeah.
0: A little I, bit of you, cinema Paradiso there moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Like, I mean, I should be a better drawer if I was doing that at six let's put it that way. I mean, yeah, there, there is a but, sense
0: of awe, right. As you, you know, as as you, uh, you know, as you walk into these places, right. Into these landmarks or these, um, you know cultural natural you know uh, uh, national landmarks right um, so i could i could imagine you know doing doing that kind of impression on you right at that young age so
1: yeah and it, it it's funny cuz maybe the last or the second last time i was there i've been there maybe 10 times i'm assuming since so quite a few times actually because wow. i've relatives in rome
0: I don't, I don't know if any romans quite a few, has been that often <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like mm. now I know, okay, there's the Pinacoteca, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Like I kind of know my way around, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which is, but I remember the second last time I was there, I was like, this is a temple to the mind,
2: yeah, you know, yeah. like this
1: is kind of a, a celebration of the mind, you know, like you don't need to believe in the, you know, Christian religion to, right. you know, and people from all over the world come there. And it really is a celebration of the mind. So maybe yeah. that is my thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it, and ultimately, I think my ambition, which I realized only a couple of years ago, is I kind of want to work up in the Vatican because they have that, it's kind of a lame gallery, the contemporary gallery. Like, if I can get in there, I can just check off, like, okay, I did it, you know.
0: Yeah, and no, but you bring up a good point because it's, you know, aside from the religious, you know, aspect of it, right, but uh, but it, it really is about the humanities, right? It's, about, it's, about, it's just about human uh, potential. It's about uh, the manifestation of the human soul, right, through these, like, larger than life, you know. Uh, Works right, and um, and we'll talk about it later on. Which I I, from my perspective, from where I stand, I see some of that making its way through your through your work. You know, the element of classicism, right? Yeah,
1: the tradition definitely does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's and we can go into that maybe later. It's very important for me, just in being relevant. uh, You know, in my own mind, uh, you know, for me, the difference between like folk art. And uh, what you might call art in the tradition is the art in the tradition is dialoguing with the tradition and folk art, maybe like Henri Rousseau, which has been incorporated into the tradition, was just kind of its own thing. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of how I make the distinction there. But anyway, I took art classes not a ton, but enough pretty regularly. And then I went to university at the university of Saskatchewan. I took a fine arts degree and then I ended up doing a double degree in English because I didn't really oh, wow. learn that much. In they didn't have oil painting and it was kind of conceptual and it was just kind of, you could kind of get away with doing nothing. And so, yeah, I didn't really learn a ton. Right. I didn't even, it was kind of weird. Like I was yeah, like I didn't even really have a show at the end, even though there was kind of like, the idea. it was kind of weird.
2: And right, maybe right, right. But but it, was
0: it focused more on the history of art or was it art history? No, it was, it was studio to, art. It was studio art, really? It was painting.
1: Wow. It was painting. And so I made some cool collages, but, and, you know, it could have totally been me uh, rather than the teachers. But anyways, it just didn't really work. But what did work was I took, a, I was taking English literature classes and that was giving me the brain food that I was kind of craving, you know, as, you know, these lectures on, uh, you know, William Faulkner yeah. and time, and it's just these big themes and I'm not even a big Faulkner person, you know, but it was the fact that they were discussing these very profound issues. Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: that's what was exciting me and these having insights, you know, on it and, but they weren't, necessarily, and commenting on science. And bringing insights that science can't really explain, kind of bringing the psychological phenomenon. So anyways, I ended up doing a uh, double honors, so five years as an undergrad. And meanwhile, I had a friend, and this is a crucial part of the story, Brian Kotz, who worked in a, I worked in a used bookstore for a few years. So I met him there and then I moved on from that job, but then he was working in a different used bookstore, all in Saskatoon, (laughs) And, and it's a whole culture as you probably know the books used bookstore yeah, yeah. culture. culture. Yeah, yeah. Great culture. No, I, I
0: collect modern first editions of post-colonial literature, so I'm very 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 familiar with the, yeah. with the used uh, used book crowd. Yeah.
1: I love it, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's a real uh it's cool. It's kind of like comics, yeah. you know, or, or comics right? or,
0: or vintage uh, right? vintage albums, right? Or yeah.
1: Exactly. That's, like that really com- is yeah. kind of like North American culture yeah. to a certain yeah. degree for yeah. kids yeah. growing up, you know. And so anyway, so Brian introduced me to the counterculture. So, you know, Burroughs, William Burroughs, JG Ballard, and including Devo, (laughs) Laurie Anderson, you know, and and research publications that, you know, V Vale there out of San Francisco. And so it kind of, and so I had Research 8 and 9, which is one book, but it was called Research 8 and 9, which is a feature on Ballard Mm -hmm. with many interviews. And I basically read that all the time because I found it so fascinating. There was this guy who was kind of unknown at the time. I mean, known in certain circles, but as far as larger society, especially back then, pretty unknown. And having some of what I considered like the most interesting insights about reality uh, out there. And what was so interesting about Ballard was he was mostly influenced by the surrealists, visual Mm -hmm. artists as a novelist, Uh, rather than other novelists. And so I ended up doing my master's thesis then on the Atrocity Exhibition by J.G. Ballard. Wow. And I basically showed the connection between basically surrealism and Ballard's Atrocity Exhibition, which is a very difficult kind of cryptic text. And I made it my task to understand, basically, what was going on. And I think I actually did a pretty good job. So it gave me a deep understanding of surrealism. And this was a way I could kind of justify to myself doing english yeah, literature yeah. and then i did a master's in that as an artist you know like that was there's also some justification yeah,
0: i mean on. i've listen i'm of the opinion that technique is not as important as um i would say maybe intellectual rigor right or at least vision or or just the the, the knowledge body right of, of an artist right and um so to the extent that you know that in that you're um maybe the 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 art the studio part of the the education did not contribute as much but you got you've made that up with the, you know with you know the english degree right sort of like made up you know provide you with that intellectual theft, uh, heft right to to be able to you know inform the rest of your artistic career right and and you know be able to develop maybe that 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 creative vision or inform
1: that totally and yeah. i mean an interesting important detail i mean for the is that at the end of the uh, at the end of the undergrad degree, I start. I accidentally took a, basically, kind of randomly chose a classics, pre- pre-Socratic philosophers class, and I was doing a lot of psilocybin mushrooms at the time. <laughs> I kind of wanted to be a part of the counterculture side of things. I kind of wanted to be a psychedelic guide. Yeah, is uh, sort of my at age sixteen, I think, and uh, and so. Studying and Terence McKenna. I mean, this is the '90s, right? Yeah. So Terence McKenna was a big deal. So, and he always saw the Neoplatonists as the psychedelic philosophers. And then being taking quite a few classes on Neoplatonism in the end, you know, on Plotinus and all. I actually agree, and I was like, you know, and I would be doing on the weekends, you know, three or four grams of mushrooms right. at these like little is rave take parties, yeah. be crashed in the corner, you know, contemplating, you know, neoplatonic metaphysics, basically. <laughs> I mean, it was that, was, that was literally in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. In Saskatoon. I mean, it's hilarious. Right? I love that. So anyways. Yeah. So yeah. How, how big, how big long, is that
0: place? How big is uh, Saskatoon? Is it? I, is I, it
1: I think it's 300,000 oh, uh, people okay. now. I mean, it's, I went there in November. I mean, it was quite interesting to see it after COVID
2: Wow! because,
1: it had been hollowed out the downtown like my i was visiting my friend brian who is still there and uh we went downtown on a thursday in november it used to be just kind of pretty hopping office culture people going for lunch the streets were like abandoned and uh downtown and there was zero office culture and it almost you almost got the sense of uh kind of unsecure the danger loomed around the corner even though it was noon
0: yeah and it was
1: right downtown like it was a it was quite something and it's funny i met a friend here in berlin who i hadn't seen for 20 years she uh just messaged me on facebook and said i'm coming to berlin let's go for a coffee and she was like have you seen saskatoon (laughs) wow (laughs) like so Oh. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, I have a lot of good friends there and nothing against it, but it yeah, was like the downtown COVID has hit the downtown and wow. I think people who live there would agree with yeah.
0: and it But it sounds like a typical North American city skyline, right? You know, office buildings, very concentrated in one T- downtown totally. and then, you know, uh, suburbs or, or little neighborhoods scattered here and there, right?
1: Um, Yeah, and and, I guess the only thing I'd add is, and a river, the Saskatchewan River. And that's kind of a, it really gives the city its personality.
0: And I'm assuming you have your various, uh, you know, immigrant neighborhoods, uh, immigrant communities scattered throughout, right? You know, the Italian, your Irish, your...
1: um, I would uh, say basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there weren't a ton of Italians. They're all in Toronto. Uh, A lot of my friends were Ukrainian, interestingly. Like they sent a lot of the Ukrainians over to Saskatchewan
2: yeah
1: uh most the italians went to toronto yeah. uh there were a few but there weren't a ton yeah uh and yeah i'd say yeah and then a whole bunch of other bunch stuff of I don't english really know.
0: germans right yeah uh,
1: yeah exactly so but
0: anyway back to back scottish to, yeah scottish for sure yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so back, so and after, so after the after the college experience after um what do you, what,
1: so? Th- yeah, after that, uh, then I moved out with my girlfriend when I was 25, having finished the master's, handed in my thesis, took three years to do it, and then I moved to Montreal uh, for eight years. And there, I was working on what was I doing? I was teaching English, I was basically super poor, uh, and we were had a nice little apartment in uh old Montreal there. And uh, yeah, so I was there with my girlfriend, broke up, and I would do my art thing, but I was really actually interested in DJing at the time. So I was spreading myself a little thin, and I guess what really characterizes that decade for me, or that, sorry, that eight years in Montreal, is trying to do too many things. I wanted to yeah. be a writer, I wanted yeah, to yeah, be yeah. an artist, and I wanted to be a DJ. And this is kind of typical of a lot of young people sure, in their 20s. sure.
0: And, they and, think they have
1: all the time in the world, right?
0: And at that, so but at that point, Adrian, did you like? Did it cross your mind that you could have been an artist? Or you could, you could have pursued.
1: It was always history? the long term plan. Oh, it was it, always it was. kind okay. of, but, but I was okay. just like, kind of like, if I I would shake myself if I yeah. saw myself at age twenty, like get to it, you know, get like you it, don't yeah. have all day here,
2: right? Uh,
1: but I thought I had all day, and I thought, you know, so uh so i was doing my art and i you know and I, I was making digital art like i took a digital art class in 2000 at the university of saskatchewan before i even did my master's so i've been doing digital for a long time yeah and in montreal i did graphic design as a job actually after the english thing did that for four years and hilariously you won't believe it but today I was coming out of the gym and I went to Starbucks for a quick coffee. I walked out and I saw my old boss from my Montreal uh, shop. <laughs> no I'm like, way. hey, no are you doing? He's, he couldn't believe it. He's like, what are you doing here?
0: Yeah. You
1: know, in the middle, like he didn't know I'd moved and everything. So he hadn't seen me in like 10 years. That's so funny. And so, Is
0: he living in Berlin yeah, or is he visiting?
1: I asked. No, he was with his family and they were visiting for four days. Oh,
0: visiting. Okay, gotcha. Okay.
1: So it was totally random. I think he left the hotel and basically ran into me. Yeah. So that was hilarious. That was just this morning. And uh, so anyways, but I did graphic design. And again, I did that as a way of forcing myself to kind of focus somewhat on visual and discipline myself because you can't, as an artist, especially in art school, you can kind of fake your way through it as far as your technical ability, but graphic designers can't. They have yeah. to deliver. Yeah. They yeah, have to yeah. deliver, or people are not going to be happy. Yeah. Because yeah. They're paying money. And yeah. So that forced me to really get better technically. So it was a great decision. Uh, it forced me to, you know, you're using Photoshop eight hours a day. Yeah.
0: You when know, yeah. it was
1: kind of at the heyday of the HTML website and everything. And that stuff really inspired me. It still does. Yeah. Uh, and then I started doing. What, what, what were the
0: tools back then, Adrian? It was it was Photoshop. Mm. It, it was, there was no InDesign yes. back then. It was um,
1: there was some InDesign demo, yeah. uh, early version. There was we'd use CS2, yeah. Adobe uh, Photoshop CS2, InDesign, Macromedia Flash. for Flash. Yeah,
0: Flash. It was all Macromedia, it was all Flash. Flash. It was yeah,
1: and and Dreamweaver. And Dreamweaver. Uh, that's uh, right. Which,
0: that's right. That's right. That's right.
1: And I meanwhile, like I spent too much of my twenties trying to build this like ultimate. I was trying to do too many things. And so I was like, okay, I want to have the ultimate tabloid website, which is gonna be like this uh kind of this, but this kind of speculative newspaper. So a surrealist <laughs> newspaper. So almost the roots of somewhat of this show that I ended up doing. Yeah, it. yeah. But it was like trying to do this surrealist newspaper, and it I was like, my grand vision is I'd put my art on this tabloid kind of Drudge Report-esque, yeah, you know, aggregator website. So then I tried to Make it all my own on my own, and so I was using Dreamweaver to create. I created a CMS using Dreamweaver. It took me like years, (laughs) huge waste of time. (laughs) Okay, like, and I wouldn't go out with friends. Sometimes I'd be like, I just got to get the comments working. (laughs) I'd spend like two years trying to get comments working. I'm not even joking. I love so. (laughs) I was a weird kid, you know, like I, like I made a lot of huge mistakes. I have learned the hard way very much on so many things. Right. Um, But sometimes that's good. Right. So then I moved to Toronto because I realized after a while, I didn't feel like I was really in, it's kind of tricky being an Anglo in Montreal and the the deck feels kind of stacked against you. And I didn't understand that or I wasn't yeah. ready for that. I didn't, yeah. I thought everything would be kind of, why would that ever? Yeah. It's, be
0: it? It, it's, it's such a vibe, you know, Montreal is, I don't know. It's, 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 it's just a vibe is what it is. And, and it is its own microcosm. It's, uh, um, you know, it's just a region within the country, but it's got, it's, it, it's, it's a floating Island, you know, within, uh, you know, with, it, with its own biases, right. Which in my opinion are a little bit misinformed because they probably they probably experience the same level of bias when they go to Paris and when they go to France, right? So, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, they, you know, it, it's just there, right? Yeah, France, it, yeah.
1: it took a it took a while, and the government is not the most efficient, yeah. and your taxes are super high, like things you don't yeah. understand yeah, as yeah. a kid coming from yeah. Saskatoon, yeah, yeah, who's moving out from his parents' place yeah, at age yeah. twenty five,
2: yeah. right?
1: So it took me eight years to basically figure out this yeah. is not the right place for me, yeah. Uh, for some people I have friends that are still there sure. and they love it. So, you know, it's for every person, they got to find their own thing. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll go to Toronto. It's a bigger city. It's English. I'm not going to have this, you know, language issue, even though I spoke French, but it wasn't great French. Yeah. Uh, and so moved to Toronto and then, yeah. And then I ended up doing some trade newspaper sort of work and interesting kind of, you know, and I won't tell this story cause it's too long. Uh, but basically became an editor-in-chief of this financial newsletter through <laughs> a very bunch of random uh, situations. And uh, there basically the guy was like, after drinking <laughs> wine with this guy who I met randomly through a friend, through a tweet, I mean, it's the most random, yeah. thing, which is probably why we're having this conversation. Yeah, And uh, he's like, you you speak, you're very lyrical when you're drinking. Like, do you want to be the editor-in-chief of this? I was like, well, yeah, I was like, yeah, I have a master's in English. He was like, yeah, okay, why don't you do this? That qualifies. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then I got into like that whole financial and Canadian mining sort of scene there as a way of kind of making money. And so anyway, so I did that for four years while doing my art, and I picked up my paint again. And I also learned how to paint at the Academy of Realist Art in Toronto. They had these workshops that were two weeks, and you'd go there, and... It was great, like in, yeah. in the studio of the old masters. And I was like, surely they're not going to teach you how to paint like the old masters. My dad couldn't believe what I painted. They did. Like, wow. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's actually not rocket science, surprisingly. Like, I mean, and I'm sure you can, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can make it better and better. But learning, I mean, the very basic techniques can frankly be explained in like one day. Yeah. And then it's about like, okay, implementing them and, you know, how but the color wheel is not rocket science right. for example right you know building the methodology they yeah. use to build a painting is quite solid like you build a painting right through right. layering right. you know the sepia undertone right so right you block right. stuff right. in right. and right. on and on right so i learned how to paint proper uh there kind of ironically because there's only like four weeks of training and uh yeah so i did that there painted a lot and then basically i was doing these large oil paintings and I'd basically work on two at a time and they'd take me two years. So I was basically putting out a painting a year on average. And I did that for three years, made six paintings for this series called futures and options kind of riffing off of yeah, the yeah. financial thing. And finance to me is still kind of one of the big themes of our century here. I mean, of the 21st century, uh, Technology and finance are the two big sort of themes in my artist statement that I had there. Yeah. Uh, So anyways, so, but then one day to kind of tie the bow on this, I, uh, I was sick of working on these paintings because it was total torture and I'd spend all my time on it. And then you're not even sure if you like the painting. So one day I, as I call it, I had this Copernican revolution where I was like, okay, I'm going to you know, make one painting in one night and see what happens. And of course I do that. And I like that painting just as much, if not better than no. the
2: paintings I'm working.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So That's I mean, learning getting, the yeah. hard yeah, way, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: you know, so, but, uh, important lesson. So then I started painting a ton, uh, made, making all these paintings that are in my brother's, uh, you know, basement in Toronto. And, uh, yes, yeah, so that was great. And then, but then I kind of felt like, uh, Toronto wasn't working for me either in the sense that. I'd kind of like, you know, I was in my 30s and I'd just go over and basically all I had to do was drink. I mean, it felt like all that anybody did was drink and smoke weed, like to a certain degree when you're just kind of working there. And so, which is fine. I mean, no judgment there, Uh, you know, maybe Berlin's not that different, but I felt like the cultural side of things wasn't really like appreciated that much. And maybe that was, probably personality problems that I had, who knows, but I just didn't feel like it was a great fit. And my Italian cousins visited me from Rome and they're like, yeah, you don't fit in here at all. Like you should be in, a, you should be in Europe, Adrian. And I was like, okay, that's a great idea. So then I moved, then I went to Berlin. I was going to all these art fairs to just try and get out of uh, Canada and just see what's going yeah. on out there. I mean, I was in my thirties at this point And I was like, okay, I'm getting kind of older as an artist. I need to start, just maybe something will happen if I go to the LA art fair, maybe I'll meet someone. And so one of the places I went was Berlin and you know, that one was awesome. I mean, I went, that was an amazing.
0: What what year year was that Adrian?
1: That was 2015. So September 2015 or was it? Yeah, it was September 2015 was the first time I went to Berlin and yeah, it was like the hilarious yeah. classic kind of first Berlin trip. Where within forty-eight hours, there I was in Bergein, Bergain, You know, and I didn't even know what Bergein was. And there I was at like the you know hippest club in the world, and yeah. Surgeon was playing. It was like eight in the morning, you know. And yeah, yeah that was like my entry. I was like, I'm moving here. This place
0: rocks. Uh, okay, so that, that so that was your sort of like your your cue, right? That you were that you were potentially entertain moving there
1: yeah and i and i still feel this way uh about berlin and europe in general i feel like i can just totally be me and be appreciated and liked and i didn't really have that sense and again it may have been my own issues uh in canada who knows you know um but i just i mean i do feel on a certain very general level and maybe it's not totally fair but I, i canada i do say it to me, it's a little bit provincial. I would yeah, argue no. in in some respects, and so I, as someone a person of culture, I was doing the atrocity exhibition, yeah. you know, and none of nobody cared about anything. Right, 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 right. So, so I had so to go somewhere Adrian, so you, where you, people cared. You
0: were already showing work then, like you already had official exhibitions right before you went to Berlin, right? So you were already. Yeah, okay. I,
1: I had some group shows. Very little. I mean, they didn't mean too much. Uh, like the first thing I ever did, I paid to put it on the wall. And I don't tell anybody to do that, but you know, if you've never done it, maybe it's not that, you know, I'd paid this guy, super wonder, super wonder gallery. He was called maybe people in Toronto, maybe he's still there. Yeah, I wish I could remember his name. Christian, I think is his name. Uh, He would put on these shows and it was kind of like a business for him where he'd bring in a bunch of kind of cool, like artists that he liked, but you know, who were willing to pay and they were actually super cool shows. And that's how I started. I think I was in a couple of other like small things, but I didn't really have that much. Yeah. And then I moved to Berlin a year after visiting, almost to the day, September 2016. And it was hilarious. Within three months, then I had my first show. And uh, I remember this girl that I had met the first. uh, She was actually, uh, maybe I shouldn't say, she was with the Berlin Biennale. Let's just Mm. put it that way. And I was like, oh, here's a great, you know, and she was kind of like, we kind of hooked up and those... And she's like, "Oh, you know, Berlin's really hard. Like, you're not necessarily like you might want to think about this and whatever." And then it was hilarious. And there I was, like, three months in. I guess it was January. I got there in September, and I had like a solo show. And she's like, "Well, Adrian, yeah, good job, good job." So that was great. So yeah, Berlin embraced me. Yeah, uh, for the for the most part, you
0: know. So it's been home since 2015. You said.
1: Uh, since 2016. 2016, yeah, so I,
0: right? So you're going on almost I'm, seven years. So it's it's home for you. Exactly. It's, I mean, you're... you're,
1: you're. It is. It is. Like, if I moved anywhere, it would be, like, to the south of Europe or something at this point, like maybe to Italy, you know, to get real estate, you know, that sort of thing, find some small Italian city where it's cheap.
0: Right. But you're
1: staying put there for the future. For the time being. And we'll see if the uh, contract is renewed on the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, it's, it's uh, renting in Berlin. Yeah. So
0: I remember, like I would say, I I came to New York in 86. um, And I started seeing the first migration of, of, uh, of new york based artists going uh you know starting to leave the city right as as the city became you know this, especially the especially downtown started to become gentrified right uh you know with all the chase the chase city banks opening up on every corner right starbucks you know coming in um the scene was getting a little bit a little bit safe a little bit too I, I should I say a little bit too predictable, right? So a lot of the artists that I knew, you know, from the East Village, because at the time I had a cafe in the East Village, you know, they started they started leaving them. Some went to LA. Uh, I feel like the migration to LA is still happening, even more so today, uh, because of the obvious reason that we just discussed. But um, but a lot of them were coming to Berlin. So in the early nineties, there was a major, major uh migration of of New York artists uh going to Berlin. And that had to do with the the fact that you could get a warehouse, you could get a studio for for next to nothing, and just do art, right? Um, which was not the case in New York anymore. Before you could have gone to the Fourth Street on Avenue D and get a loft for seven hundred, that was just not the case anymore. So a lot of them went to to Berlin, uh, but that kind of lived its course too, right? Did not Berlin go through the same thing where now all of a sudden you know you can't afford I don't want to say you can't afford to live it anymore, but it's not the same that it was in the early nineties as far as the
1: affordability. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, yeah, that dream is dead.
0: It is okay. Uh,
1: It's totally dead. I mean, even just to, it's, I don't know if gentrified is the right word It's definitely gentrifying. And yeah, I mean, the rents are, yeah. Like what, you know, even four years ago when I started living here, it was considered very expensive what I paid and now it's considered very cheap.
0: Wow. Interesting. You know,
1: like, and that's four years. And it's not like people in Berlin make a lot of money. So it's kind of a weird situation too, because, generally speaking people in berlin do not make much money so you have all these people coming you know let's say from the us or canada or wherever else and they go oh this is so cheap even maybe maybe not still but yeah. you know like uh and yeah and then the locals can't afford it i mean your classic sort of uh scenario yeah. i guess you'd call that gentrification i don't know but anyways yeah that dream's kind of dead and so a lot of people have gone to athens
2: and now that's I've re- starting I've heard to get
1: about expensive. That,
0: yeah. So the same phenomenon is happening. I mean, people are now leaving Berlin, right? And and,
1: and going... Right. And, or like, I mean, actually Berlin, it's still like, I mean, if you can find an apartment in a sense, people are still coming here. It's got a great brand. Yeah. I mean, kind of like the ongoing joke. I mean, my friend <laughs> from, you know, like, is like, yeah, the rest of the world thinks it's awesome.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> right, right, right. but really
1: Berliners are sort of like the weather sucks. Yeah. You know, like, uh. And it doesn't always suck, but it's like the winters are pretty brutal. And it's just like the whole reason for coming to Berlin and kind of what built Berlin's name, arguably, was exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it was. It was
0: a scene. Yeah, it was the arts. Because then there was the club scene that followed the art scene, right? Because the two will always, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Between, um, you know, just nightlife and, and the arts, Right um you know it was the case in new york for the longest of time right it's the reason why the warhols the Basquiats, the herring were able to come to you know come to a come of age right in new york city because that that dynamic existed it's not there anymore um that's why we you know it, it's much harder now you, you know to produce that kind of um, uh, talent in the, in in new york or for that ma- for that matter so i'm sure the same thing is happening in, in berlin now right because uh it's just, you know, just, that just changes everything. Um, but I did hear about the Athens uh, connection. Now uh, people kind of, I heard near the airport or something like there's, um, uh, what's it near the, or near the Olympic complex. There's like this whole neighborhood that's springing up with all, with all these like studios and artists that have moved there recently. Did you hear the I same thing? See
1: it. Yeah. Like I have friends and actually I have a friend who's in Athens. She's from Canada and, uh, yeah it's interesting she's saying actually because they introduced this golden visa now where like real estate is going up there it's kind of like it's all repeating itself over in athens so funny (laughs) yeah so it yeah like so i mean it's still a lot cheaper than berlin like you can still rent an apartment in athens for maybe 600 euros a month uh, sometimes less Uh, when i was there a couple of years ago i was offered you know 450 for like a balcony and nice place, you know? Uh, So, yeah, it's so, yeah. So where do you go now? I mean, a lot of people went to also Portugal as well. And then you get all the crypto people, but crypto people came because there's no income tax on, or there's no capital Mm -hmm. gains on crypto in Portugal. So now, now it's the same story where Portuguese people, you know, in Lisboa can't, can't afford to go to buy anything. And then you have all these like, crypto people from elsewhere who kind of, yeah. yeah, So love how cheap it is, you know? Yeah.
0: And, and back to Berlin. So Adrian, I, is there, is there still a very uh, alive cultural scene as far as, you know, uh, gallery shows, museum opening?
1: Yeah, very much so. Like, I'd still say, it's still the main thing to do. Yeah. As far as like, you know, what's going on this weekend, it's like, Oh, well this kind of fancy gallery, is going to have something and, you know, Perez projects is going to have something and, you know, it's actually gallery weekend this weekend. So that'll be fun. Um, it's still kind of the main uh, thing to do, which is great. And it's, you know, affordable because you don't really need to yeah. pay anything to go to a gallery. Right. Uh, so that is really nice. I, I, I'd say it's the main, and it's interesting. A lot of artists come here. I'm not sure Like, and I can only speak from my own perspective and what I've seen and I could be wrong, but I'm not sure how many people are actually, quote unquote, making it Mm. like, I mean, there's this whole circuit of people, me, you know, before the pandemic was on this circuit uh, where you go to the galleries and you're kind of hoping something happens. Maybe you meet like it's fun, but it's also kind of like uh, business, you know, where you're hoping you're going to meet someone to show your work and all this sort of thing. And it just never materializes like, I'm sure it materializes for some people right. at some point, but for the great majority of people, it's it really just a, an exercise in futility, you know? And so the pandemic, when basically nobody went out also, it kind of snapped me out of this. I was like, it's kind of like painting, you know, two <laughs> paintings a year for yeah. for two years, you know, all of a sudden you just go, this is a failed business model. Like I need to yeah. try something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and that's when I discovered crypto uh, just, from my financial interest,
0: interesting. Not so interesting. Wow, so your yeah. so your entry point was the like the the currency, right? It was it was the cryptocurrency? Uh, uh, not, get rich not, quick. Not the interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was watching Real Vision videos okay. on YouTube, and there's Raoul Pal telling everybody to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum before it had kind of gone crazy, and then I finally read this. Uh, one of the or listen to the, one of the last interviews by James Dines, who's kind of like the original newsletter writer, he lived to like 91, 92, just died a couple of years ago. And he was like, You know, buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum. And then I was like, Oh, if James Dines is
0: saying, uh, saying that, Bitcoin, yeah,
1: that's when I was like. I went straight to my computer and I was like, I gotta figure this out, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's and and it was great. And I got rich for a year and, and yeah, that and was great. Figured well, out it lasted. You did. Yeah, figure out how Yeah.
2: Did.
1: yeah. And, and then it went down.
0: Well, and then you're like, well, wait a minute, there's also art to this. There's also an artistic element to this.
1: Well, it's funny too, because I had been working on and this Peloponnesian War series. I was working on my phone a ton. And this is actually something I started in Toronto when I got the iPhone 6S, which I consider the first art phone. Because all of a sudden there was apps. That were credible you know like that were usable you could export between the apps so i could use one app export it and i'd even bring it into instagram use the filter there and sometimes take a screenshot or just if you posted it and deleted the photo you it would save it to your photos back then so like when you posted something so it'd give you a copy of the photo so i'd post it and then delete it right away and then i'd have that copy in my photos You know, and there's great, great apps that I still use, actually, to this day. Um, And uh, so I was working a lot on the phone and then I started this uh, Peloponnesian War series. Well, and so all to say I was familiar with Super Rare, but I didn't understand it. I saw, okay, there's this digital art platform. When I first moved to Berlin, this is 2016. Which ironically was super early in a yeah. sense for NFTs. Yeah. Uh, so I was on super rare looking at it, but I didn't understand it. Wow. Right. So I didn't know. And I was like, oh, you have to apply. And I, you know. I was so, going to ask you that.
0: Would they? So they, did they have the gatekeeping back then? Would they, Would they asking they for. Did. Some, okay. they, they did. did
1: okay. They did because otherwise I was, yeah. yeah.
0: When did they launch? 2016?
1: I, th- I think like 2018. Like, uh, so like I, I saw them around 20, like I was like, had I joined then I'd probably be some, you know, famous crypto artist because it would just by virtue of the time. Yeah. But I, yeah, but who knows if I would have been accepted at that point, uh, onto the platform, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of wild when you piece together, uh, what that would have meant and all that, but I didn't know what it meant. And so it was actually through finance that I actually started to figure out and through investing, the interest in finance that came from Toronto and all these newsletter writers uh, that that's how I, and then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, this is what super rare is doing. And then, so I applied because I was like, Oh man, the world is about to come on to you know, is going to want to get on super rare, which actually happened Right. where every artist, you know, in 2021 at the wanted to get on. But, super the, rare. but they
0: hadn't yet at that point, right. They hadn't yet, right. There was probably a few, uh, it was our and Mattia Coutini and, and probably 10 other, 10 other people. Right. That was about it. Right.
1: It, exactly. Like, yeah. well, I mean, it's, I mean, maybe that was slightly earlier. Like, cause I was, I wasn't early to the party at all. Like I, I was earlier than the mainstream by like three months, yeah. you know, like I applied, I think in November, December and got on in like February. And then I minted my first piece then, and then things are blowing up, of course, then, yeah. uh, especially the board apes and everything. Yeah. And people were getting rich and all of a sudden every artist wanted to be yeah. involved, uh, in the NFT yeah. scene. And there I was on super rare and those was, great and make yeah and that was fabulous uh in terms of uh because all of a sudden i mean it's the dream right where you make your work for free digitally you upload it to a website and it sells and you have all this money in your pocket yeah i mean it it doesn't get any better than that in any business i mean zero cost other than your time yeah and your you know ipad or your phone right right
0: uh, well, and, and 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 your marketing, right? Because now all of a sudden you've removed yourself as with everything Web3, we removed ourselves from the traditional relationships where in, in the traditional art world, right? You have the gallery that does all the promotion, all the marketing, all the, you know, the logistic work for you, right? But now all of a sudden, right, um, there's the upside, right, of having direct control over the revenue stream, but at the same time, you have to do your own, you know, your own weightlifting as far as, you know, promotion, marketing, and all that. And I guess that's that's a good, it's, it's a fair price to pay, right? Because, uh, you know, that it, uh, not only you have a much bigger uh, margin, right, on the sale, but there's also the perpetuity of it, right? The, the royalty that kicks in. So, uh, hey, you know, if I have to do social media or marketing in general, right, then so be it, right? I guess at that point, it's the personality that kind of gets in, you know, makes a difference, right? Because some people are much more prone and much more comfortable doing that than others, right? Some, you know, some introverted or some some artists that are just not comfortable doing that perhaps have a tougher time, you know, doing that,
1: right? And Twitter is incredibly lo-fi. Like, yeah. I mean, I, like, when I started, first of all, I was quite shocked when I like they had this kind of onboarding session at Superware and they're like, by the way, you know, most of the collectors are on Twitter, so you should have a Twitter and all this sort of thing. And that was total news to me. And then I was trying to be all smart on Twitter and that didn't fly, you know, like because everybody's sort of like, who's this guy who thinks he's so smart and yeah. everything so yeah like i didn't do like yeah and it was even like those remember those posts where i mean you still see them where it's like post your nft and blah blah like and i generally kind of i don't know if i'd say i looked down on those kind of yeah. posts but i was like i'm not going to post there but then finally i i just was like okay i need to get some kind of traction and i ended up making like five thousand dollar sales i'm pretty sure came i those yeah. like the heyday for me yeah and that came from uh posting on those <laughs> on those dumb like engagement yeah, farms, you know,
0: like, Yeah. That's yeah, so, so funny. So oh, learning
1: man. the hard way on everything. my
0: goodness. You know? Well that it takes us to your art, right? So and we talked about it, you know. We, you know, you mentioned the Peloponnesian War project, which I wanted to talk about because it's one, um, one of the projects that I sort of uh, wrote down because it's really aesthetically, I think, um, conceptually, it kind of really, really struck a chord with me, and I wanted to understand a little bit more about it. Uh, but I think let's let's talk about the whole um, the whole package, right? Meaning the uh, let's t- you know let's tie all those loose ends, like you know the the role that the classics and the humanities have played in your upbringing, right, in your academic upbringing, and and, uh, and how they make their way into your work. And, um, and you know, wh- 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 what are you trying to say through them, right? Or, or what are you trying to say about it through your
1: work? Well, I guess just, for me at the end of the day, you know, and again, it comes back to that, you know, uh, Socratic kind of education. And then I was taking a lot of great courses, what used to be the teaching company. Now it's Wondrium. And I actually watched this lecture series on the Peloponnesian War twice Wow. Uh, before reading it. And that was interesting. And it's all about meaning at the end of the day. And in the sense of, can you do something that matters? Like at the end of the day, it's almost like so little matters. Like to me, almost the big challenge is, can you do something that actually matters? Huh. You know, so as a source of, you know, taking an extremely skeptical kind of, so, so then I was like, that's where I kind of came to this idea that, to be a part of the tradition, then you have to have a conversation with, with, the, tradition, with the tradition. You know, right. so that's in a sense where the idea of hey, uh what if I did a quote unquote art book of the Peloponnesian War, uh, which was kind of like everything that I love, trading cards, and it's almost like 200 trading cards, uh, kind of in in ratio, at least they look like trading right. cards, and then where I put quotes. But then I had this surrealist sort of, you know, uh, approach to it where I actually and I have this beautiful picture. I'll have to dig that picture up and show it on the show, where I'd cut out all these two hundred quotes that I had, and then I had all these vase, uh, vase paintings, Greek vase paintings, and I started to put them just kind of randomly. I just and then I wasn't trying to. So in the series, I wasn't trying to illustrate the quotes of Thucydides, uh, Peloponnesian War like with the action that was going on in the vase painting, which I'd use as a source as well. I wasn't trying to necessarily make like the vase painting narrative uh, coincide in a direct way with the quote. I was kind of going for more of a, let's use some randomness, kind of a more of a surrealist project of let's see what happens when we mingle this text, wow. you know, this very this rich, meaningful text, the first history text in the Western tradition with this vase painting from the West or sorry, from ancient Greece, sorry. you know, at the start of the Western tradition. Yeah. What happens when we start to mingle these things? And I felt like a magician. Like also, now yeah. it's just like, this feels this is very powerful in terms of meaning. And then I just added other layers on there of just. You know, from intellectual history, very yeah. loosely, from from McDonald's to, you know, who knows what to letter, and then I'd have letters turn into image, you know, and all this sort of thing. You almost see an asymmetric writing, and so it was at the end of the day. My big summary of what that work is is it's about the the battle of it's a, of all signification against all signification. Should, yeah, like basically. Everything was allowed to come in, whether it was math, uh, logic formulas, you know, I'd look up like, uh, you know, information theory type diagrams. I'd just incorporate everything with this kind of ancient Greek backdrop of text and image. And so it became kind of like this magic act in a sense wow, for me. Wow. With varying degrees of success. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean.
0: And but Adrian, what I found fascinating is even though with this sort of like historical, I mean we're going back, you know, two, three thousand years, right? Uh of you know the, of 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 influence into the work there's still a very very what I, a very obvious almost like crypto framework meaning the the aesthetic of the of the work really really felt at home within a, within a crypto context um you know i think you minted on super rare right i
1: it, did you know? i mean after it was all done yeah. uh yeah and i got on super rare the first thing i minted was actually uh, the study i had done which it's funny i mean today i'm still going back to it's one of my favorite pieces i've made and I'm, I was actually kind of, it's kind of my main inspiration actually right now, that piece. It's like, I need to kind of develop some of the ideas that were in that piece Yeah. where I was taking basically in that case as part of the background, because that's a whole other thing. Like what do you do with the background, for instance? So I was using in some cases, I'd sample paintings from say Basquiat and Rauschenberg really zoomed in. So you wouldn't even know what painting it's from, but just like a brush stroke. Yeah you know, and this sort of thing and that stuff. uh, And then I'd almost like, I call it visual hip hop. I'd start to like combine those things in image editing apps. Then I'd purposefully to your point about, I I would use that very hard edged brush, you know, hard contour brush that's very digital that you'd never make with a regular. So I like that because it was kind of like unambiguously digital. And so I would start to mix these things and then I'd, because of course, sometimes you would get paintings where you had to erase some parts of the painting that I'd use as a sample, let's say, and so then, yeah, so it turned into this very interesting uh, mix of everything.
0: Yeah, and, and to me, it feels very much at home in a crypto setting. Although you know, it's it's inspired by you know work or aesthetics from thousands of years ago. Um, it it feels it feels it feels fresh. It feels like. Uh, of the moment it feels, it feels relevant. Um, and, um, and I think it's a beautiful, beautiful project. I was, I was looking at, I was looking at it again this morning just to remind myself, refresh my memory. And it's like, it still feels crisp. It feels, um, I don't Know of the moment is probably the best word I can describe it. Uh, I, I
1: really appreciate yeah. that. I mean, it's yeah. a half orphaned project, yeah. I mean, half the works are still on. Open, I know, so... I
0: know, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so you saw that, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. But,
0: and you did well, you did fairly well with it, though. I mean, there's there's, there's there, yeah, there's quite a bit of you know, we
1: made you know, some sales, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it wasn't it's funny, it was other series that got more of the big dollar figures, yeah. but I was happy just to sell any, yeah, yeah frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I learned it was kind of funny, like early on. I learned again the hard way on like how to deal with uh with collectors because I you know yeah. that work I put out and I got a half eth offer yeah and then I waited and waited you know because I'm like oh it's gonna get more and then of course the guy takes back the offer I didn't know the protocol yeah that you know you go on Twitter and you say thank you yeah yeah uh, for the offer right, and right. I'm, if nobody <laughs> takes it in the next forty-eight hours, I'm gonna give it yeah, to that yeah, person. Yeah. I, just I just said, said nothing. Exactly. It was like, yeah, I'll get back to you. You know, like, and then it was taken back, and I think I sold it for point 0.1 ETH yeah. later. You know, and now someone has like ten ETH on, on that as the price. Right,
0: standard. right, right, right.
1: So yeah, it's kind of hilarious, actually. That's
0: funny. That's funny. Um,
1: um but it is yeah. uh, just to your point, though. It is made to order for crypto. I agree. I saw that thing. I was like, oh, like I, but I, I botched the uh the you know the the how the rollout yeah i botched the rollout they go to mar- like, let's I mean, call it
0: the go to market <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah exactly watch like, the go-to-market
0: strategy yeah
1: i needed help yeah. in that case yeah, yeah, yeah. i would now i think i could handle it better yeah. at the time
2: yeah
0: yeah, and and so and 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 so the, at that point you were firmly planted in crypto, right? You're like, okay, this is a this is a legitimate place, right? Because that's how I felt. Oh, yeah. and I, I noticed the I picked up on the legitimacy of it uh, very fast. I was like, okay, this is serious. There's serious stuff. There's some serious talent, uh, and there's definitely some significant uh, work to be done here. Um, and, and even today, look, t- 2023, three, four years past the, you know, the beginning of the rush, it still feels very early, right? It still feels it's a conversation mm-hmm. for a selected few, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, because I feel like the, the institutions are still not – you know, into uh, you know, in, into it, right, or committed to it, right, or not even like have tried, right. So I feel, and, and and it's bound to happen. There's no, it, there's no avoiding that, right. So I feel like it's early.
1: Yeah, like I mean, it's quite interesting too because the the artists and the works that kind of got really famous, like Beeple and X Copy, really create a uh, perception from those in institutions and outside. As well as the, even the NFTs like the bored apes, uh, like I mean, I was at a party not that long ago, like four or five months ago, and this you know very nice uh, French uh, from France woman was sort of asking me like, but you know I was talking about NFTs. She's like, but what about the what would she, how did she put it? She put it like the challenging aesthetics or something like that. It's, like, it was hilarious because but she just wasn't aware and. Like and neither like I was there selling work. I didn't love a ton of what I saw. I didn't really buy an NFT yeah. of art till that October and uh, of twenty twenty, I think it was twenty twenty one, I think. And yeah, and then I didn't even really get it till about a year ago because then I was on Object and on Tezos and I saw Haiti Roquette and Rada, the pixel artist. Yeah. And those were the guys that, especially Haiti Rocket, like Rada got me on object as far as like, I saw his work and I saw, Oh, there's affordable work on object or Tezos from Rada that I can buy. Uh, I messaged him very early on, like, is this stuff for sale? And he sent me to open C. Uh, Rada is actually one of the great commenters on the program. Now it's hilarious yeah, because yeah, at yeah. the time he's just like, yeah. I have no idea. That's and so it's ironic, isn't it? And, yeah. and so Anyways, uh, but then I saw Haiti Rocket. I saw JNK, which is now Kurt Hustle Collective. And I was like, this stuff is just really cool. Yeah. It, it felt like techno punk. Yeah. It felt there's classicness to it. Yeah. And as, so then I went down the rabbit hole and I really have never come out. Like, I mean, it's, uh, I, you, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, it's stunning the amount of talent that's out there that really just, uh you know would not be represented otherwise like it would just be in people's private homes yeah. without this kind of internet blockchain market
0: mm-hmm. and and is is the so is the artist journal kind of like a consequence of that of you know a uh just a a, a need to partake in it and and share and just like because it is an overwhelming experience from just the because sh- you know, first of all, we're dealing with you know we're dealing with a global uh, phenomenon right now. All of a sudden, we have access to talent from all over the world, right? It not, it's not just your your local market or your country. It's like we we're we have like instantaneous access to the works of just about every artist in the in, in the world, right? So, is it just this sense of overwhelming? I don't know, uh, input of of work and 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 the impetus of wanting to share it with uh, <laughs> with people that kind of led you to artists. Uh, artist journal
1: uh it's an interesting like it's several things it was a confluence of several things I mean I had started uh an artist journal on I I always I don't know if you know David Bowie's Outside oh gosh Uh, do you know that album oh yeah
0: very much so yeah yeah so
1: I was almost envisioning like and I had you know it was like there's kind of like this narration this guy almost talking into his tape recorder this private detective between tracks that was almost like a year earlier when I was and I knew I couldn't be like that, but I was like, that was kind of the inspiration. I was just like doing an artist journal, like just sharing thoughts cause I have all these thoughts on things. So why not use that? And Twitter also is so lo fi that I just felt like, you know, I need to, and YouTube is kind of frowned upon in the contemporary art world somewhat. It's kind of seen as like, not the most prestigious way of presenting yourself, But as far as this NFT thing, uh, I, I just thought, you know what, Twitter, people don't understand me on Twitter, like they don't understand my personality. Right. And so I just, just get in front of the camera is something, as I told a friend, I was like, you know, if you're in front of, if you do YouTube every day for a year, do you think you're he's a musician I was and before I started any of this I was like do you think you're gonna get somewhere he's like yeah I think you're gonna get somewhere and so we'd been talking like that for a couple of years and then finally I was seeing what was going on with on Tezos and it was getting more and more like excited and I felt like the market was about to blow up actually so I was like, I'm going to get ahead of this. I've been kind of planning this. Let's just put a few images together of what I'm collecting. Hmm. You know, in worst case scenario, I have some video up on uh, YouTube where you search Tezos and there I show up in three or four down that sort of thing. Yeah. Recent acquisitions on Tezos, I think was the first video. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, and it was just like, you know, let's just talk about stuff because why not? And and so surprisingly, people liked you know, even like, or at least watched it, like I'd actually get like 10 views and I was someone that would post on Twitter and basically get one like sometimes not, you know, like there's a lot of people like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's no reason for people to like me other than, okay, maybe I like this guy's art, but my communications were, I'm just basically can communicate way better and more efficiently. Uh, with video and audio than yeah. I can with Twitter. And it's like, okay, how do I sound funny? And you know, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much for me to, I'm trying to make art here. Yeah. Know, like, uh, so it became a very efficient way for people to, I mean, video is incredibly powerful, right? Because people relate to you on so many more levels the visual, even the vo- vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, versus Twitter where you're just like some pfp like you have a little yeah. image for your profile picture and it's so lo-fi. Yeah. That I mean it takes I mean credit to people that can make it kind of doing that because it's a really challenging
2: medium.
0: Yeah. Yeah because it's about the, the the written word, right? And and trying to make it come alive, right? Through the um, through the style, you know, the style of your writing, right? And uh, and some people have a much better you know, uh, much more equipped to be able to do so in a very, very effective and very entertaining and very, very, uh, ca- you know, captive way. Right. And, uh, but it's not for everybody for sure. So, but you're right, you know, with video, it's like, you know, the, you know, the, you can come across much more, um, with much more, less efforts, right. Than it would be with the written word for sure. So
1: exactly. Well, and, and you can elaborate so much yeah. more. Like if you, if you elaborate like that on Twitter, yeah. people might. We go. Why are you talking about this? Who are you trying to impress? Yeah, so it's sort of like the difference between, you know, your significant other. You know, how many arguments have been started through just texting versus, you know, 100. that wouldn't have been an yeah. argument if you're talking in person. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly, Because yeah. people assume the worst. Yeah. And all this
0: sort of good thing. Point, right. good point. Good um, point. So, what episode are you up to now? One hundred sixty-five, one hundred sixty-six.
1: I think. I think it's one hundred and seventy. It's so, 170. So, and there were like ten like videos before, that I did on Spotify actually yeah. audio oh, things gotcha. that okay. were just random. I, there's an interview with Brian Cotts way back there. That guy that uh, inspired me early on. Yeah, am still in Saskatoon. And uh, yeah, so I've done about 100 and let's say 55, 160 videos. Yeah. Uh, since, do, since do you take a yeah. day
0: or every other day or once a week?
1: The the first 80 or 90 days, I did it every day. The first eighty or ninety days, like it was kind of wild, and it was fun, but they were much shorter, too, and I still yeah. want to get back to these shorter videos, yeah, I need to look at them, but I find it so hard to watch, yeah, um, but <laughs> you know, I'd love to get to like thirty minute videos. let's say right. they're they're in the 50, or,
0: they're like around fifty minutes, right, on average, right.
1: Let's say, yeah, yeah, recently. And I I say it almost embarrassingly, yeah. you know, like, uh, yeah. I'd love it to be like, let's say 30 is kind of like a nice yeah. middle ground, yeah. you know? So, and it's less work, Yeah, like, yeah. but somehow I, there's enough to talk about. And I don't mind, basically the reason I justify it to myself the way it currently is, is if I'm talking about interesting things or what I perceive as interesting things at the start, of the program where we're going through news and just random. That's kind of the whole point of this project for me is kind of like just to share perspective and isn't this cool and why is this cool and how does this help us as artists, this sort of thing. So if that's what I'm doing and it turns out long, then I go, meh. Okay. I can live with that, but I'm still, I actually, last episode, I think was like in the forties. So that was 45 minutes or something. And and what's the,
0: what's the frequency these days, uh, Adrian?
1: It's really interesting, at least for me, uh, so how it's evolved because it was, was every day. And then I was doing weekdays, say Monday to Friday. And then what I did was I turned the Wednesday show into a Twitter spaces Ah, because it was just me, me talking to people and never kind of getting the feedback. Interesting. And rug radio, which is this like web three kind of media thing, uh, I had proposed a show to them like in that, around that August, July, actually, before I started the show, I proposed doing a show on Tezos art, just cause I thought and an audio show like where I'd, you know, cause I was a big collector actually. So I kind of knew enough of the artists that I thought I could get. Cause I basically spent enough money on their work. I figured, okay, I have some kind of relationship where they were thanking me on Twitter and whatever. So I thought, okay, I could probably bring in some artists, and do some kind of show with Tezo's artists, because I was very yeah. excited, as I still am, about the art that happens there. I still think it's like the most exciting art basically going yeah, on too, by yeah. far uh, in the world. Like It's just dynamic. It's like a youthful scene. Yeah. All the things the art world yeah. has kind of stopped being yeah. in a yeah, lot yeah, of Yeah, there's just
0: nostalgia to it. It's just like so exactly. fresh and so vibrant and so raw and yeah. so, yeah, like... Yeah, like every other it, it, movement at early stages. So.
1: I had proposed this show with Rug Radio and uh, never heard back. And then their person, their talent person was sort of switching around. And then I ended up starting this show anyways. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this YouTube thing. Or at least it kind of happened randomly where a couple of people on Twitter heard a Spotify thing that I had done in July. Chimosku Jackson and uh, Mikal, can't remember his last name, uh, artist. And they are like, hey, this is great. You should do more <laughs> Pokebelli. And I was like, oh. And then in the second episode, I was like, maybe I should do. I was saying, thinking out loud, maybe I should do this on YouTube because I'm talking about art. They're like, yeah, you should do YouTube. This is great. Yeah. And it's, so that's how it happened. I don't think I would have done it without those guys saying, yeah, do video. Interesting. Because video is a bit of a leap.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. If
1: you if you haven't done it.
0: No, but it, know, but what? it lends itself because you are always sharing the art. So gosh, I cannot imagine working out uh, any other way, right? Because people, you know, get to see what you're talking about, right? What what at that specific moment. So. I feel like it is the absolutely perfect uh, medium for the show. And as far as preparation, like what does it take? Are you because um, like do you have all the tabs already uh, pre open like already? Because uh, you know you go you go through art pretty fast, so you're you're you already on you Yeah, it?
1: like it, there's in a sense there's no secret to it, other than like I'll tell you the workstation that or sorry the workflow that basically. I used to do bookmarking on Twitter, but I found that unreliable that I wouldn't get everything or I felt like I was missing certain things. And actually it started with just object notifications. Yeah. And I would just go on object notifications and, you know, and, and I was like, isn't this amazing? I'd comment on those early shows, even still, isn't this amazing that every day we have works we can look at here that, you know, that we can kind of credibly look at here and kind of not feel like we're wasting our time.
0: Right, right, right.
1: And isn't this incredible? Like, I think I called it, what did I call it? The, something like the plenitude of Tezos. Yeah. Something, has, yeah. something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so the workflow turned into because the bookmarks. So then I went to Twitter because object had problems with notifications. And then, so then I was doing bookmarking and it didn't work that great. Or I felt kind of like I wasn't getting everything. So then I started saving the links of tweets Uh, and also object notifications in a separate kind of file and with that then i'd have everything gathered and then say the morning of then i open all those tabs and then i organize in a separate window then i'll organize and kind of basically pick and choose and put an order and coherence turn it into a story right and uh and then that's it. And then use that basically as a discussion piece. Right, right, right. right. Really for the show. And that's kind of so the artists really provide me with the uh, discussion. Yeah. You know, by they provoke the discussion and so do people's comments. Then I started incorporating comments on Twitter, which was great. People love those kind of shows. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I love those. Like there's financial shows which just go through, yeah. you know, Twitter finance stuff. And I love that yeah. stuff. I'm like, yeah. so that's a good point. You can build shows off Twitter. You know, and that's kind of, so that's more the meat now is Twitter, but I still use object notifications, uh, which have kind of got fixed again.
0: Okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. as as sort of like a prompt for you to get, right, to get the content, right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah, exactly. Because you need something, right? And amazingly, I've never really felt like, okay, maybe once or twice, you know, doing it as often as I do, did I ever feel like, okay, what am I going to go with? You know, as far as like, what can I open with, Right. you know, almost from this tabloid perspective, I call it a newspaper of the imagination sometimes. And it's like, what can I and I mean, a couple of shows like maybe three or maybe four or five months ago early on when I was like, I don't know what to go with. I don't know if I have something that can hold that kind of front yeah, page. I, I, and but then I'd, I, I would find it literally like five minutes before on Twitter. And I'd right, be like, right, okay, right, right,
0: right, right, I can go with this. Yeah. I you know, and and I, I think that is the right way to go about it. Because, you know, in a way, there is an entertainment element to it, right? So, and there is, you know, kind of a, a need and a drive to grab the audience attention, right? So you do have to shock yeah, people I, I into attentions, right? Yeah.
1: I love tabloid. Yeah. Actually, like, especially like the weekly world, weekly world news. I used to uh, (laughs) collect those. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The aliens, right? (laughs) Yeah. uh...
1: (laughs) Dick Cheney is a robot and he's like opening, like, I mean, just, I mean, just like, I mean, really, really brilliant. Unfortunately, yeah. like it, it actually shut down and their last editor, like I could totally change, tell when they changed editors. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this new editor yeah. is like nowhere near yeah. as good
2: as the last editor.
1: So it's kind of like an editor role. Yeah, and true, true. A- another beautiful thing about doing something like this is you're your own boss. It was like for the first time in my life, I actually had this kind of thing that people were paying attention to. Unlike my art, you know, I got a little bit of attention, but I couldn't, re- it was a business, but it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. But, but then here it was like, okay, you actually have a growing audience. There is a business yeah. in here. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure yeah. you can, um, you can quantify right in with, with time. And are you seeing, and are you're you seeing a growth, a consistent growth.
1: Yeah. It's pretty regular. I mean, it comes, there is a fits and starts quality to it, but it's pretty steady if you kind of zoom out on a month to month. Yeah, I mean, some days, you know, you'll get like, say a podcast like this will come out and then all of a sudden I'll get like six or seven subscribers. I mean, I'm only at like 800 and like, uh, what is it? I don't even remember. 800 and something, 838, I think it is. Right.
0: But 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 it you is know, it is up trending though. That there's no yeah, and it's
1: all real. You know, yeah. like that's also what I love about this yeah. is just growing it. There's no fake anything. Yeah, you know, and yeah. that's what I love about yeah. that. Like it's uh, yeah. So you get a pretty high ratio of people watching to subscribers. So YouTube also rewards you for that. So yeah. it'll be interesting once you break a thousand uh then they start to give you like a little bit of money
0: oh that's a so good cool. yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah then then it gets quote you know as you say quantify or monetized yeah. right yeah that'll be an interesting moment yeah uh, because then as far as i understand and i'm not sure because right now i don't think they share it to anybody who's not subscribed because there's no incentive for them yeah. they want people to see yeah. stuff that will see ads yeah Uh, so it'll be interesting and I'll have, I have mixed feelings about how that all goes too, because are people seeing ads right now or not? I'm not sure. And so I have to do some tests on that. And does that mean all of a sudden they're going to start seeing ads if I monetize it? Because at the end of the day, the real monetization is already here where I sell my work a lot more simply by virtue of the fact that people know who I am. So they okay watch the show and it's like oh well there's his account and, and yeah. that's it and then some people like the art and then s- a few of those people will buy yeah. it you know uh so in a weird so i'm kind of have mixed feelings on that thousand number but i'm not worrying about that yeah. right now because in a sense it already works yeah
0: yeah because yeah th- you th- th- you're already winning at it right just from the exposure right and the and uh and the accessibility, right, to your work from the audience, right? Yeah. It's the great challenge
1: yeah. as an artist, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, to get your name yeah, yeah. out right? And it,
0: it is a global audience, right? You have listeners from all over the world, right?
1: Yeah, yeah I still am trying to wrap my head around what that means. What, yeah. I mean, out of Twitter spaces today with Flora Marquez, she was in Argentina. I mean, it, yeah, like, I mean, it was yeah. amazing. I mean, Twitter spaces or, you know, Clubhouse too and LinkedIn audio. I mean, it's really stunning what that means. I mean, when you visualize, okay, that person's on a different part of the earth and all these people are coming together in one, you know, room yeah it's it's incredible
0: uh, um adrian i have a question for you we talked about a little bit about tezos right and the whole tezos ecosystem and object the marketplace i'm curious to to hear the artist perspective because uh, I'm, I'm trying to determine right the how do i how do i best ask this question here right because uh, there's an expectation right that the, the 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 work should cost a certain amount of money right like is an artist allowed to make money on tezos because most of oh, the yeah. work everything seems to be around like you know it's it's addition it's addition based, right? There <clears throat> obviously there's one of ones, but there's a lot of additions, right? And I and I'm assuming that's from the artist's perspective, so well I'll make it up in 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 you know in the quantities, right? By doing 10, 15, 20 additions, right? But I get to charge very little, like five dollars, ten dollars, right? Like, should an artist be allowed to charge, you know, thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, ten thousand? And and there are the there are those that do, like Goldcat and uh, Zankan. There's a few of them, right? But but for the most part, it's 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 all very very affordable, which is a great thing. I don't want to uh, denigrate that, but at some point, can the artist make that sort of like pricing leap? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, there is a steady kind of. Uh, there is almost like a roadmap that happens where like, I mean, that's what's kind of so yeah, cool so if about If you can it.
0: walk me through that, because I I, I want to better understand that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's, let's see, let's see if we can kind of like, uh, you know, itemize like how that story goes. Right. I mean, first, let's say you are an unknown artist. You show up on Tazo, So nobody knows who you are. So basically the first thing you do is you make, you mint your work and then you make it like 50 cents. Right. Right. And, Basically, and then maybe you do an addition of not too large of an addition, but nobody cares too much at fifty cents. So if they like your work, it'll sell. Right. Uh which is also at that point
0: you're getting a very guttural reaction, right? Meaning they're just reacting to the work, right? Without without the the hindrance of like being too expensive, I can afford it. Like right, they're just reacting to the to the to the work. Some
1: people might buy it just because they think it'll be worth like three dollars or so. You know, you get the flippers if it seems like cheap or uh Yeah. Like, so, and as an artist, this is so powerful because even if you're selling for a Tezos each, like a dollar, uh, and you make $10, I mean, I, you know, being, you know, in the Berlin art scene, I, you know, like I've gone years, I've gone two years at times without making a single sale, without making a dollar, you know, where I can't put in my taxes, art funding and write off, you know, so uh that is uh you know so just to make sales I mean so it's so such a privileged situation compared to what we're dealing with in the contemporary art world I would argue for 98% of artists which is nothing right you know or maybe you know and OK, I sold a print like it's just like uh, maybe I have a friend who's a great painter, does stuff all the time. And I think he sells he sells on Sachi like a couple of times a year. And then he actually got a gallery in somewhere in England. And I think he's made a couple of sales. But it's just like uh, like we're really uh, spoiled out here, even if you're selling. So back to just very quickly on the roadmap. So you start you sell. People get to know who you are and people are always looking for new artists. Right. Maybe your Twitter account grows if people like your art. And then you slowly raise the prices is basically what people do. And I've seen people, you know, like there there's what's his name? Ellie Lowe, who does those crazy kind of videos. It looks like sometimes, you know, with the crazy figure. Mm, I don't think I'm and I'm there's not music. It, no. Yeah, and he's sometimes he's a trash artist okay. and he like or she i'm not sure if it's a he or she but you know sold selling works at 0.2 tezos to start so like basically nothing right uh four or five months ago and now sells for 450 each editions of 25. right right so that's like oh that's a hundred dollars right right so that's that's what's so interesting so you know when you look at like what is like a middle-class salary like if you break it down you know, like say a McDonald's worker a little higher than a McDonald's worker, maybe a Starbucks worker, you know, at the end of the day, usually it's about a hundred bucks a day, let's say yeah. for like your $40,000 a year job or 35,000, you know, uh, if you're selling an addition, you know, five times a week or three times, like all of a sudden you're starting to make like 15 or $20,000 yeah, a year, yeah, yeah. which this is on these tiny little addition things. So actually, like some people make like, you know, you look at Uxene who was selling for seven Tezos and now sells for 111 and it sells out like before he even. Yeah breeze, you know, like so, and then all of a sudden, as, as additions a though, right?
0: As additions, right? Because one of ones yeah. he's selling for like in the thousands now, right?
1: E- exactly, yeah. Like, so here's a guy, and I remember I could have bought a uh, one of one and I decided not to for like a hundred bucks, yeah. That like early, you know, a few months ago, yeah, yeah. And now that I think someone paid seven thousand for that, yeah.
0: Piece, I think he's got a 4200 right? bid now on um on the Sotheby uh auction, the glitch auction, right? Now, right?
1: I just saw that, yeah. yeah. So you know, and there he is at Sotheby's, right? So yeah. that is kind of like the roadmap. Like it's not complicated. It's so that is the promise, really, of the scene. So you know, then, does the the so the,
0: does the community or the um, the platform does it allow you then at that point to still operate within within the, the Tezos ecosystem and um, at, at that price point, or is there sort of like a resentment or? Uh, sort of a, a demand to continue to go, you know, to, to go back to the, pro- you know, you understand my question? Like,
1: it, uh, yeah. Like is there a yeah. resentment at, yeah. Like, I, I think it's a matter of uh, how you roll it out, right? Like Uxine is very, for example, uh, is very, uh, I call it elegant. I think he's very elegant in the way that he makes, like he does it very, very well. Um, whereas sometimes another artist, you might feel like, oh, no, because, yeah, I mean, as an artist, sometimes I think, oh, it's like, oh, now you think it's worth that much, do you? But the thing is, if the market, it's it's like really bringing the free market to art again. And it's just like Twitter's just like an open scene. And then you have these blockchains, these global blockchains. And it's like, oh, you know, I might first think, oh, you, I guess this person thinks he's pretty special or she, you know, putting out their 10 Tezos, what was once five. But if they sell out and you know, a day or less, maybe an hour. It's the market. Yeah. Right. So I guess, I guess it is worth that. So I I don't see a huge, uh, I don't like, I think people will raise prices how they can. I think it's like anything though. Like if you start at a certain point, uh, you really have to, uh, it's It's a real art to raising your prices. But you know, as you get more well known and the more you're around and the more sales you make, the more credibility you build, then, yeah, I mean, you'd be a fool not
0: well, I mean, the secondary market also helps you along with that, right? Kind of like uh, helps you you know build a case for. Uh, a high price point for sure so but uh no i was just curious about what the the artist's perspective was on that you know because it's, it's it's interesting to watch it from the collector's uh, point of view
1: right so do you think that in a sense though in tezos there is a sense that almost the works are being sold for too cheap um, and that um or
0: that's a great question i would probably say yes you know and um i would probably say yes but then again um you know i i've I've been on Tazo. I mean, I was on Tazo a while back, but I didn't really, I, I wasn't serious about it. It's just been the last three, four months that I've been much more uh, looking at it much more seriously and really gain, you know, building the respect for the, for the, for the art, the, the, the talent, uh, the, the, the community is like, like no, second to nothing. I've never experienced anything like that where there's it's just a rallying of, uh, there's a camaraderie and there's just like a, a, a want for everybody to do well. Right. And uh, so I, I really, really respect and I really, really admire that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I'm still not sure as to what the, the, the the price dy- or the economic dynamics are uh, of, of that, of that specific blockchain. Cause I mean, I'm of the, I'm of the opinion that, uh, and I'm the first one that I'm on order. Like I, I, I buy art for the sake of buying art. Like, I, I joke that I, you know, I'm, I'm, my collection is where secondary sales go to die, right? Because I just don't sell anything. I, I keep, I keep everything.
1: <laughs> oh um, yeah, me too. Yeah, but, I think I've sold two works yeah, out of like two thousand. And yeah, uh, yeah.
0: but you know, I think anybody would be disingenuous or lying to say, well, I don't expect it to go up in value, right? Uh, there's always that that understanding or that feeling that uh, you hope, you know, you want it to go to to appraise in value. So. You know, with Tesla's, where you know, uh, where you know, a lot of the work is so affordable, and you wonder, will it, you know, will it will it appreciate in value? But hey, I'm not going to complain if I can get some amazing work at ten. I'm the first one who's going to ape in on it, right? But I was just, I'm just, just not too familiar with the dy- the market dynamics of the plat that, the platform. That's how I wanted. To, that's why I was asking you, um, you know, your perspective from the artist. Yeah, it,
1: it is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I mean, it's it's kind of like anything else, but I think because it's so free market it can happen really fast yes,
0: right? yeah right like i
1: mean you see with Uxine going yeah. from again like yeah. that's like he 15xed what he was selling for and probably you know he probably i haven't looked at his work from 2021 but it's probably selling for like yeah. two or three tezos i mean tezos was eight bucks a yeah. pop back then yeah. so that's a different story yeah. but
0: wow we already reached the uh, the 90 minute mark now and a half
1: <laughs> it's that good
0: of a conversation <laughs> huh um all right, well so we'll wrap it up soon, but I wanted to get your take on um I wanted to get on Glitchart and uh I don't know if you've been uh following the uh the Sotheby's auction the auction the the, the do over, the reboot, right? Which um, I I give Sotheby's a lot of credit for not only responding to the community but for, you know, taking the uh the initiative to to actually pull the auction uh to suspend it, right? So that they could uh, you know, right the wrong and really really um, you know, recalibrate and really, really bring into the fold what was really a legitimate uh, and a substantial, you know, part of the, part of the artist offering, right? Which was not uh, represented the, the first time around, right? And it's it's not just female; it's the 9 binary right, which was completely ostracized the first time around. And uh, you think this day and age, how people still make those uh, those omissions, right? But but they happen, right? They they still happen, and. Uh, um, so I've really given credit for kind of uh, re- rethinking it and, you know, kind of uh, rebooting it and relaunching it. Right. Um, and look, you know, the, the, female, um, the female artists are killing it. You know, they're doing incredibly well. I was looking at the bids the, this morning and wow, everybody's uh, a lot of them have reached their, you know, their sort of estimate range. Right. So what's what's your take? What's your opinion on just the, the movement in general and uh, if you have any thoughts about the the current the uh, you know the Sotheby um, auction,
1: uh, well, glitch is super interesting, and I've learned a ton about glitch, uh, mostly from Sabato, who came on a spaces yeah. that I did back in yeah. early February, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, and so I always kind of knew about it. I mean, way back in Saskatoon, I had two friends who were doing glitch. I mean, wow they were talking about glitch. I mean, I sure hope they kept doing it because I I don't see their names there, but it's like people say 2010 was so early, but I remember back in 2004, I thought people, I thought, um, you know, maybe I'm misremembering or maybe I visited and that's when people were talking about it. But so, I mean, yeah, I mean, so long story short on that, I think it was an inexperienced curator, clearly in one way or another inexperienced because in today's art world, I mean, it's almost unthinkable to make an all male show. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, it, yeah. it's almost unthinkable. Um, like, yeah. It, like, who, who, the first question one would say is, like, you know, you may love all this art, but are you crazy? Right. You know, like, just from a purely pragmatic point of view. Like, right. Um, so I think Sosby's recognized that Yeah. Because they, they understood, this is just my speculation, of course they understood that this could really blow up in their face yeah. in a major way. Yeah. So let's do everything, give them everything they want. They want, you know, let them run it. Just give them everything they want and be super responsive. And they, I think they righted the wrong. I mean, they brought in different curators. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. you know, and people from the scene. And then, so it's like, you run it. You run it, and you guys have a show here, and everything. So I think they, you know, uh, look. Mistakes are going to happen, yeah. and I again, I feel like this is probably the initiative. The Sotheby's metaverse stuff. I mean, in a sense, showing at Sotheby's is not what it used to be. I mean, I saw this uh, meme on Twitter that it was like the Oprah. You get a car, and you get yeah. a car. And like, <laughs> you get a Sotheby's, and you get a Sotheby's. Yeah, B's yeah, and you get yeah,
2: a Sotheby's. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's and it's interesting. Because we go to the Louvre Louvre Claire Silver thing, yeah. like you do by opening things up and then just saying, by it, it does dilute the brand. And you saw how protective yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Louvre yeah. was yeah. on
1: that whole yeah. situation. And they're like very protective. Uh, Sotheby's has taken more of an open sort of, Thing And I mean, it probably makes sense financially for them as well, because, look, there's a lot of money in crypto. Let's not be snobs about it. Let's let these people have their fun. And I think what they do is they say, okay we'll call it Sotheby's metaverse. It's not, you know, we'll have this separate wing and we'll just let this kind of because this could be a real boon for us. And there's a ton of money in crypto. Let's just, you know, be ahead of the trend on this because this could make us this could, you know, put us into the history. Like the history books in a bad way. right right right. Like we're we're right. over and you know super rare takes could yeah, disrupt or, or, this could yeah. disrupt us
0: or keep the re- or or you know figure uh, provide you know the the bridge to relevance right because uh, if it does it, it's not a matter what, what if it does take over when it takes over right at least we'll be there as an institution with the in in our second iteration of our of our existence right. But exactly. um,
1: yeah, so I think it's they'll, they'll have um, the they'll have the credibility. Yeah. Right. Because they'll have been there. They'll have even with the glitch show, they'll they'll have gone through this. They'll you know, so everybody knows Sothby's in the NFT scene. Yeah. Right. And and, you know, OK, they do NFT yeah. stuff. So that's, you know, uh, so they're quite smart, I think, in how they've handled it. I mean, there's so much money at stake yeah. in these kind of brands and everything. Yeah. I guess we shouldn't be surprised. But yeah, I think they handled it quite well. All things considered, yeah.
0: You know, you know what I found fascinating, Adrian, and 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 it is very ironic, right? The fact that it took a uh, a community of of an art form, right, an art current which is glitch, which is predicated on a mistake, right? It's you know, it's it's a mistake, right? Of of, of it's a glitch, right? Of uh, of software, of data, right? Um, it took a a platform or a community of a, of an art form that is steeped in a mistake to right a wrong. You know, it, it, yeah, it was it, almost it's,
1: like one it's, one big glitch. It's, that know. Sophie's, but, but, like but put you on it, a huge, massive yeah, glitch. <laughs>
0: but you know, there was a group of artists, right, from a from a um, an art form that is mired in in is predicated on an error, on mistake, right, and and they're the ones who who write an historical wrong so yeah, it's I very fitting it's, it's yeah it's yeah. Very, very fitting very fascinating so listen Adrian, I don't know what I don't know what to say thank you so much for taking the time it was uh, uh an amazing conversation I really really uh, appreciate you know uh having you share you know your background your story and your most important your formative part of your career and um and also you know sharing the uh the the, the vision and the uh, uh the behind the scenes of artist journal because you know to me it's a uh, it's one of the uh, you know i i hold it very dear to my heart because it's one of the biggest source of uh, of information of the of the ecosystem of the you know of the web3 ecosystem uh from the artistic perspective so uh and i know i'm not the only one that you know thinks along those lines a lot of people that uh you know i see on twitter and see within my my network a lot of people kind of praise it uh so i wanted to congratulate on the success of that show and uh i'm on the sideline kind of rooting for you and hoping that it um, it, it, it gets as big as it needs to be it needs to get. So, so thank you again. And uh, we we'll, I'll, I'll see you around Twitter, right?
1: Absolutely. And thank you for inviting me on here. And uh, I mean, you're one of the first kind of people who kind of, when we're working on that other project that you're inviting me in as an advisor. Yeah. So you're very early yeah. on this whole situation. I totally appreciate uh, again, you, you know, offering to interview me and I'm happy to come on anytime and uh Yeah. I I just really appreciate you. And thank you because the the whole thing's totally a surprise to me that anybody, (laughs) you know, the whole thing, I don't think he could have planned it. I think even the best marketing strategy, like it would have, it just kind of had to come out organically. So anyways, thank you.
0: So, all right, Adrian, um, till next time and for everybody, for our listeners, thank you for joining us. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you in the next episode of uh, scrapbook. Thank you. Bye-bye.